John chapter 1 and verse 19, beginning at verse 19 and reading through 28, would you follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from mine? I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Chapter 1 of John, verses 19 through 28. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And verse 24 says, And now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then, Why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now these first 18 verses that we've been looking at in the last few weeks, these first 18 verses of John's Gospel, he has made it very clear, John the Apostle has made it very clear that Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate, God in human flesh. Verses 1-5, through I think, are some of the most powerfully clear words that we have about the deity of Christ, about his godness, if you want to say it that way, about the fact that he is God in human flesh, God incarnate. Wonderful words in verses 1 through 5, and that's what we've been learning in these first 18 verses. Jesus is God in human flesh. Now we arrive at verse 19, and we're coming to this portion of John, which we're going to be in from the, for the remainder of our study in John, that's a more of a narrative portion of Scripture. And we come to this narrative portion of John's Gospel, and he returns to John the Baptist. Now remember, earlier in verses 6 through 8, we were introduced to him here in chapter 1. We saw him in verses 6 through 8. So now in verse 19, John the Apostle turns to the witness of John the Baptist. Remember, the Gospel of John written by the Apostle John, and when he uses the name John in his gospel, he's talking about John the Baptist. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. So here we are, verse 19. John the Apostle turns to the witness, the witness of John the Baptist, and his witness, his witness is the same as that of the witness of the Apostle John, that Jesus is God. Now, it's amidst the narrative of the witness of John the Baptist that we find the next name that we find for Jesus. As we're reading in chapter 1, I told you there are seven names that we see for Jesus in chapter 1. And it's in the midst of this narrative in verses 19 through 28, we find this next name for Jesus. It's seen once in verse 20, and once in verse 25, it is this, Jesus is 
Here's the next name. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. So so far in our study, it's been Jesus the Word, and then Jesus the Light, and Jesus the Son of God, and now it's Jesus the Christ. Now, as we look at the witness of John the Baptist, I want you to first think about who he is. Let's think about who John the Baptist is for a moment. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus, right? He is, many of you know this from reading the New Testament, Jesus is is uh, his cousin. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. Most agree that John the Baptist began his ministry at about 29 or 30 years of age. So that means he was he was born a bit before Jesus and he began his ministry a bit before Jesus. He was also the son of a priest. And he was also very, it's very likely that he was well known. Because Matthew 3 tells us that there were many people from, from Jerusalem who were um, kind of flocking out to see him. They were coming from Jerusalem, they were coming from Judea, and from all around those areas, and they were going out to see John and hear him preach. So he was, it was likely that he is fairly well known. Now the likely reason for this is that the fact that these people were flocking out to hear him preach. Yes, son of a priest, but why hear him preach? Why go out and hear this guy who's dressed in camel's skin and got this leather belt and eat, you know, wild honey and locusts? Of course, that's, that's the way poor people lived in that day, and that was not unusual as far as that's concerned. We wouldn't eat a locust, I don't think. We might enjoy some wild honey, but... Right, so that's not the only reason people were going out there to hear him preach. That wasn't that unusual. He was living amongst the poor people there out in the wilderness. The likely reason for this is that there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years, and here's this man out in the wilderness preaching, and he's getting people's attention. So, so along comes this strong, this dynamic individual who'd gone out, lived among the poorest people, and was dressing like them and eating like them, and he was preaching. And he was getting people's attention. And don't forget this. This is a key ingredient to John's ministry and to John's preaching and why people were listening to him. Don't forget that he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit had not yet come on believers. But John, we're told in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So here's this individual. He has the filling of the Spirit working in him and through him, and he's preaching, and he's certainly a unique individual. We can say that, that God has chosen to use him and is greatly blessed, and lots of people are taking note of him. And so when we get to verse 19 in chapter 1, it begins to make a little more sense of why people were listening to John. Why were they flocking out to hear him? In verse 19, look at it again. And this is the testimony of John. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Well, this is the testimony of John. John is going to bear witness about who Jesus is. The priests, the Levites, they're trying to figure him out. They're thinking this fellow, well, well, he must be the Christ. He's certainly somebody, was their reasoning. He's growing in popularity. I mean, look at all the people going out to hear him preach. 
Certainly not because he's well dressed. People are listening to him. What's going on? He's preaching. He's preaching and I had taken those Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish religious establishment and, and challenged them. In fact, his preaching was a great challenge to them. He had taken them on in his preaching, and this guy was was starting to make them squirm. He was starting to make them uncomfortable. Something had to be done, so they sent out a delegation because he's not quite what we're expecting. Let's figure out who this guy is. And so verse 19 says, So the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask John the Baptist who he was, right? This is referring to... and. Think about the words, the Jews. This is referring to the Jewish religious leaders, especially uh, when we see the term the Jews here. This is referring to not the Jews in general as a people. This is referring to those who are hostile toward Christ and toward followers of Christ. Look at his answer in verse 20. This is, this is interesting too. Because he could have said many things that were true about himself a few of which I noted earlier, just a few of which I noted earlier, John could have said many things about himself. This is interesting, his testimony, his witness. Note that he doesn't say anything about himself. Verse 20, he confessed. They're saying, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. This is John's testimony about himself. I am not what? The Christ. I am not the Christ. Verse 19 started out, this is the testimony of John. It's it's almost as if he's on the witness stand. He's a witness, right? He's a testimony. This is the testimony of John. What's his testimony? It's not about John, is it? It's not about John, is it? It's about Jesus. I'll tell you who I'm not, right? I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Christ. It's not about me, says John. And John clearly understood it wasn't about him. He understood who he was under Christ. He was a witness. John was a witness pointing to Christ. I am not the Christ, he said. Now, what does Christ mean? Christ means Christ means Messiah. Christ is the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Warren Wearsby explains Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed. And the Greek equivalent is Christ. To the Jews, it was the same as Son of God. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed and thereby set apart for special service. Kings were especially called God's anointed. So when the Jews spoke about their Messiah, they were thinking of the king who would come to deliver them and establish the kingdom. Now, Jesus is the Messiah, But he's not the king they expected, is he? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. So John answers their question. And since this is who they're thinking he just might be, he answers their question not by explaining who he is. He answers them by explaining who he's not. Who he isn't. And in doing so, what does he do? He points to the true Messiah. I am not the Christ. Then they ask him in verse 21, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. 
Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Don't you love John's answers? I love John's answers. I am not. No. John, here's the point. John is a witness. This is not about John. It's not about him. It is about Jesus. It's not about John being, oh, uh, you know, uh, here's who I am. If you're wondering who I am, let me tell you. It's not about John. It's like he's trying to defend himself and then going to tell them everything about himself. He doesn't say more than he absolutely has to, really, because he's pointing to someone else. He's pointing to Christ. And can I just encourage you with this right here? Just think with me about this. Let me just encourage you with this. Your testimony isn't about you. Followers of Christ, beloved, your testimony isn't about you. It's about Jesus. You realize that, right? I mean, some of you, I know, have, have remarkable testimonies about how, how you came to Christ, remarkable stories about what the Lord has done in your life over the, over the years that you've known Him. But the most important part of your witness is Jesus. The most important part of your life story that, that starts with Christ saving you from your sin is Christ. The most important part of your story is Jesus Christ. You need to tell people about Jesus. Let me just encourage you with that. You need to make sure people know about Jesus Christ, about who He is, about what He's accomplished for you by His death and His resurrection. So, I just encourage you, whether or not you have a remarkable story to tell about your life is not the important part. The important part is whether you point people to Jesus. It's about Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. Whether or not you're going to focus your life and witness on Christ is what's important. Jesus is the Christ. Just make sure that people hear that. That is the clear truth. They need to understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is the Christ. And that's what John the Baptist is all about. So here we are. The religious authorities questioning John. So you're not the Christ. Let's see. You're not the Christ. Uh, are you Elijah then? Now, why would they think that he might be Elijah? John MacArthur notes here that based on the prophecy of Malachi, uh, the Jews expected Elijah himself to return in bodily form just before Messiah returned to establish his earthly kingdom. Even today, many Jews, many Jewish people leave an empty seat at the table for Elijah when they celebrate their Passover Seder. John's appearance was strikingly similar to Elijah's, according to Mark 1. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, uh, while 2 Kings 1.8 describes Elijah as a hairy man with a leather girdle uh, bound about his loins. John's call for repentance in Matthew 3.2 and warning of coming judgment in Matthew 3, verses 10-12 through 12, would have further reminded his hearers of Elijah. So they're thinking, this must be Elijah then, if it's not if he's not the Christ, it must be the Elijah. Now, in the literal sense, John was not Elijah. In the literal sense, he was not Elijah. They were expecting Elijah himself. So John says he's not. He's not Elijah. But there is a, a figurative sense where he is Elijah, where he is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy about Elijah. Listen to Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 13, where, where Jesus is speaking and his disciples asked him, Jesus is speaking here, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Jesus says, 
Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus interprets the Old Testament prophecy as meaning that there would be one who was who was like Elijah. And John certainly preached with the same power, the same boldness as Elijah. So in a sense, John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy, but he wasn't the fulfillment of the prophecy how the Jews expected it. So you're not Elijah? Well then, are you, are you the prophet? To which John replied, no. Are you the prophet? Now that question points back to the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, where he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. And so they're, again, thinking back to prophecy, are you the prophet? This prophecy is not about John. This prophecy is not about John. This prophecy is actually about Jesus. And we know this because in Acts, both Peter and Stephen applied this to Jesus Christ. This prophecy is about Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 22. So they said to him, well, who are you? Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So their question is kind of like this. Who are you and what do you say about yourself? Okay, you know, we give up on the guesswork. We got, we, we got, we gave you our 20 questions. We don't know what else to say. Why don't you save us the effort and tell us who you are, would you? Can you sense their frustration here? You tell us who you are. Now, when you look at verse 23, you've got to love the witness of John here. Look at verse 23 again. He said, I am the voice. Can you see a voice? Can you see a voice? can't see a voice, right? You can hear a voice, but you can't see a voice. You want to know what you can see? Jesus is the Word, right? You can see the Word. And if I hold God's Word in my hands, I can see God's Word. Jesus, the Christ, can be seen because He's the Word made flesh, right? What does John call himself? He says, I'm the voice. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness in verse 23. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Their question was, what do you say about yourself? Since we're tired of asking you who you are, why don't you just tell us who you are? What do you say about yourself? And his answer, again, points to Christ. He doesn't get into who he is. He doesn't get into what he's accomplished or where he's come from. He just simply and very humbly says, look, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. And can I tell you this morning that that is just the kind of attitude that God's servants everywhere should have? That is just the kind of attitude that God's servants in Higgins Lake Baptist Church should have. I'm just a voice. I'm a nobody. I'm just here to point to Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 10, Jesus taught his followers that this was the attitude that they should have. He says, so you also 
when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. It's also the same attitude demonstrated by others in the New Testament. We have wonderful examples of this. We see it in Paul's example in Ephesians 3.8 when he said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, hey, I'm the lowest of the lowest of God's servants, but look at what he has given me in this grace to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He also says of himself, 1 Corinthians 15:9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He says, look, I persecuted the church, and God called me out, and made me his servant, and I do not deserve to be an apostle. I am unworthy And so we see here, too, in the passage we're looking at this morning, John's humility in his response that he is simply a voice, a witness. Now, you'll note, too, that he is also a fulfillment of of Old Testament prophecy. John is pointing back to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. In fact, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, point to that passage and John the Baptist as the fulfillment of it. He just kind of merely points back to that, to that prophecy. But look at verse 23 again and note what John is doing here. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So, so here's the point. Even in, in his pointing out that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, he's still pointing to Christ. He's still making Christ known. He's saying, look, I'm just a voice. Yes, a fulfillment of prophecy, but I'm just a voice. And I'm pointing to Christ. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Make straight the way of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means get your heart ready for Christ. Get your heart ready for Christ. Means get yourself prepared for the Messiah. John's humility, I think, is very clear here. It's like he's saying, Look, I am just a part of the road crew. Okay? I'm just paving the road. I'm just filling in the potholes. I'm just making the road straight. Make straight the way of the Lord. I'm just part of the road crew. Okay? I'm just, I'm a nobody. I'm just trying not to lean too much on my shovel. Right? I'm just a part of the road crew. I'm trying to make Make the road flat and safe and I'm trying to point people to Christ. I'm here to tell you to get ready for the Messiah. Get ready for your Savior. The one who will save you from your sins. Now in verse 24, we learn that it wasn't just the Jews who had delegates sent to question John. It was also the Pharisees. Look at verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now let me tell you, the Pharisees were a a small group of Jews, but very authoritative. They they insisted on a very strict interpretation of the law. They were very careful about observances of the law, not only the Old Testament laws, but also laws that had been 
um, handed down and grown through tradition over the years, and they were convinced, they were convinced that their law-keeping was going to make them righteous before God. And so they put a lot of effort, strenuous effort into their law-keeping and mining every detail. And we're going to learn later that some of the Pharisees did actually turn and follow Christ, but the Pharisees as a group opposed Jesus. The Pharisees as a group were were in, in opposition to Jesus and his followers. The next question likely indicates that the Pharisees, being far more concerned with law-keeping than the religiosity of, of uh, liberal Sadducees had, had delegates here or had prompted this question. Look at verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So essentially the question is this. You say you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet. And then who gives you authority to baptize? Who said you could do that? Look at his answer in verse 26 and note again his humility in verse 27. and Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John didn't defend his baptizing. He didn't say, "Well, look, here's, you know, here's why I'm baptizing. This is why it's so important. This is what's this this is what it means." John didn't defend his baptizing. What did he do? One more time, he just points to Christ. One more time, he's just making Christ known. So far, they knew nothing of Jesus, but here comes John, and he's baptizing, which is what the Jews did. Think about this. The Jews baptized but the only people they baptized were converts to Judaism. They didn't baptize Jews because they, they looked at the Jewish people as being part of God's kingdom already. They didn't need to be baptized. So they come to John and go, why are you baptizing Jews? Who told you you could do that? By whose authority? So they come, question John. They're wondering why he's baptizing these Jews. And their thinking was like, well, why would you baptize Jews since, since they don't need to be baptized? They're already part of God's kingdom. And the point is this, John's baptizing work was only in anticipation of the coming of Christ. It was only as a preparation, only in getting ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. John's baptism was one more way he pointed people to Jesus Christ. Matthew's Gospel records it for us like this in chapter 3, verses 6 and verse 11. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It was a baptism of confession. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That sounded familiar, didn't it? John's humility. And pointing to Christ and keeping Christ in the forefront, keeping Christ number one. John's baptism was simply an admission by those being baptized as they prepared for the coming Messiah that they were indeed outside of God's saving covenant. They needed to confess their sins and believe in Jesus. They, they needed this. They just, they say, you know what? Yes, I'm a Jew and I'm told I don't need to be baptized, but I realize now I'm a sinner. And so I'm confessing that I'm a sinner. I'm going to be baptized and, and show that I understand my own need of a Savior. 
Now note with me once again that John is not talking about himself here. He says he only baptizes with water and then he points them to Jesus. One you do not know, he says, right? And then in this amazing statement, he says he's not even worthy to untie the strap of the sandal of the one who's coming. And that was one of the lowliest and most demeaning acts you can imagine. That was something a servant did for his master to get down on his hands and knees and untie his master's sandals and then to carry his sandals and take care of them. John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to do that most meaning, uh, meaningless in, in, in some ways and demeaning task for the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 84 and verse 10, I think, expresses the idea of what John is saying in this way. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's the kind of attitude that John the Baptist had. I'd rather be a lowly doorkeeper in the courts of my God for one day than have a thousand days of of liberty in the midst of wickedness. Matthew Henry put it plainly when he wrote, Note, the great business of Christ's ministers, and that's you and me if you're a follower of Christ, the great business of Christ's ministers is to direct all people to Him. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and He was he was echoing Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, for, we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Followers of Christ today, can you identify with John? We're not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus Christ. We're not worthy to be lowly doorkeepers for him, not for a single day. But get this, he has generously and graciously chosen his followers and by grace has given them the opportunity to help make straight the way of the Lord, to make him known. By God's grace, we who who are not worthy to untie his sandals or to be his doorkeeper, we have been elevated to being voices for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege. Do you understand the privilege that we have as Christ's followers to be voices in in the wilderness, so to speak, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, to point people to the light, the true light, Jesus Christ? So I say this morning, beloved in Christ, we proclaim Jesus. That's what we do. We proclaim Jesus, the Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so thankful for your word and the example we have here in John's humble ministry of being one who announces the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and challenges unbelievers to make straight the way of the Lord, prepare themselves for Jesus' arrival. God, I pray that today, as God's people, as God's church, we would take very seriously the the privilege that we've been given to be voices for Jesus Christ. People who day after day after day, faithfully and continually in everything that we do and say, keep pointing people to who Jesus Christ is, to keep pointing people to Jesus the Christ. God, I pray, give us great hope and encouragement and strength and wisdom for the days ahead as we continue to serve you and enjoy your mercy and grace. God, we pray, strengthen us, encourage us, give us your wisdom, give us courageous boldness to speak the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world in which we live. God, I pray that there are those in our midst this morning who are realizing they need this Christ. They need to repent of their sins and trust in this Christ. God, help them to do so even now, praying a prayer of repentance to You, Lord, asking for forgiveness of sins and believing in Jesus Christ. God, I pray, work in each of our hearts. Challenge us. Encourage us. And we're so thankful for the encouragement You promised to give us, the encouragement we've had this morning in the midst of Your Scriptures. So strengthen us for your, for your work, the work that you've given us, that we're privileged to be partakers of. Help us to be voices like John. Help us to point to Jesus Christ like John. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.